we're going to be starting in coming weeks a new sermon series. It's going to be entitled Spiritual Disciplines. And um, we've got a few different things happening over the next few weeks. Uh, But what I thought I would start with today is just asking the question, why bother with spiritual discipline? You know, we'll be looking at various aspects of spiritual disciplines, such as prayer, fasting, meditation, study, celebration, those sorts of things. But before we even begin to look at that sort of thing, I think it's very important that we ask the question, why should we bother? Why bother with spiritual discipline? Is spiritual discipline not just for maybe nuns and monks and people like that? Or is it for us? And that's what we're going to be exploring a little bit more about this morning. And to do that, we're going to be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and reading verses 16 to 26. What I um, should tell you and should have warned you about before is, um, as chairs have been moved about recently, the number of the Bibles, they keep falling off the chairs and the, the spines are getting damaged. So we're trying, putting them out at the front so that people can pick them up on their way in. Um, it would have been more helpful for you to know that before the service, I guess, than right now. But um, I've only just remembered. So just listen this morning. And uh, in future, hopefully, uh, we'll remember to, if you want a Bible to be able to follow, uh, then please help yourself uh, as you come in. So we're reading from Galatians chapter 5, reading from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Uh, If any of you did pick up a Bible on the way in, or there is a stray one left under your chair, uh, you can find it on page 238. And it's entitled, The Spirit and Human Nature. What I say is this, let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies. And this means that you cannot do what you want to do. If the Spirit leads you, then you are not subject to the law. What human nature does is quite plain. It shows itself in immoral filthy and indecent actions, in worship of idols and witchcraft. People become enemies and they fight. They become jealous, angry and ambitious. They separate into parties and groups. They are envious, get drunk, have orgies and do other things like these. I warn you now, as I have before, those who do these things will not possess the kingdom of God. But the Spirit produces love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature with all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. We must not be proud or irritate one another, or be jealous of one another. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would speak clearly into our lives. 
You will teach us the things that we need to know. You will encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You will challenge us where we need to be challenged. Help each of us to listen carefully and to hear your voice today. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment. It's the early to mid-1990s. You're about six years old and you settle yourselves down in front of the television to watch one of your favourite programmes. And um, this is something about how it might go, hopefully. I hope you enjoyed that. You can, I'm sure you can probably find some repeats on um, various channels. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It, in many ways, it was a very surprise success. It was a programme that was built, uh, that was made on a very low budget in Japan, and it was then very badly dubbed into English. Uh, but for some reason, it suddenly took off. And uh, the basic plot behind it is, well, you saw it in the introduction there. There's the evil Rita Repulsa who escapes from her prison on the moon and uh, is determined to destroy Earth. And the Power Rangers are five ordinary teenagers who are able to change into uh, people who have special uh, martial arts powers. And you saw the change in them there as they were going from a normal teenager into this great superhero who would help to save the world. The mighty Morphin. Power Rangers. And it's, um, in case you're wondering why on earth I've thought of that, it's the word morphine that came to mind there because whenever something uh, needed to be challenged, when they needed to have their superpowers brought together, one of them would say, It's morphine time. It's morphine time. The, um, the other place where, as a child, you might, uh, this is more my generation, I have to say, you might have come across the word morph is with. Um, Oh, can you bring the next one up, please, uh, Andy? Is with um, Morph on Tony Hart, a little plasticine figure, and I can see some of you nodding there, much more, um, much more aware of Morph, who managed to change and transform himself into all sorts of um, different shapes. And uh, he's got a whole family there. I kind of remember the whitish one there, who was called Chaz, I think, and was very mischievous. 
and obviously at some point they've extended the family, but that was beyond my time of watching. The word morph has a long history. It comes from one of the derivations, derivations of it comes from the word morphu, uh, which means the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. Sometimes in the Bible we read of the word morphu used when speaking of somebody in the womb, of a child forming in the womb, the real formation of the essential nature of a person. Uh, another word that's sometimes used is, and I'm not sure quite how you say this, but uh, excuse my pronunciation as I say, somorfizo, which means to have the same form as another. And uh, that's used really to refer to uh, Jesus, you know, that we're supposed to have the same form as Jesus. And um, the third one is metamorphu, which uh, we have our word metamorphosis that comes from there, which means to undergo a change from one being to another. In Morphin, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, we see them change. In Morph, we saw him change all such shapes. Of course, as Christians, our rallying cry needs to be, it's morphing time. It's time to change. And we know that, don't we? When we become Christians, the time has come to put the old behind us and to become new people. To take those words that Paul says. What I say is this. Let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the human heart. And he goes on to say, For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies. And this means that you cannot do what you want to do. It's time to change. It's morphing time. It's time to put the old human nature behind and to come in with the new spiritual nature that is of God. It's morphing time. And that's something that as Christians we know we need to do. Because the power of the human nature, the fruit of the human nature, if you like, is not what it should be. Uh, I read verses 19 to 21 uh, from the Pew Bible, from the Good News Bible, but I think the message provides a very interesting translation of those words. And this is how it's translated in the message. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalising everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. The sorts of things that the human nature, the fruit of the human nature produces. And of course, as we look in society, we see a number of those things. 
It's morphing time. It's time to put human nature behind and to concentrate on the spiritual nature. It's morphing time. But there are morphing problems. There are some morphing problems. And um, there are two that I want to just talk about. We can easily end up disappointed with ourselves. It says in verse 17 that the spirit and human nature are enemies. And this means that you cannot do what you want to do. We easily end up disappointed with ourselves because we know as Christians we need to change. Nothing I've said this morning comes as a great surprise. We need to put our old nature behind and take up the new nature that God wants to give us. That's not a surprise. But the thing is, it's difficult for us to do. We all end up disappointed. As I look at my life, I've got some disappointments. Some of them are very trivial. Uh, For example, one of those would be that I've been watching some of the World Cup this week. And one of my... um, uh, trivial disappointments is that actually I would quite like to have the same skill that they do and to be able to go out and entertain millions of people with the skills that I have. Or maybe not just entertain millions of people but earn millions of pounds. Just uh, change the words slightly there. So I have a slight disappointment about that, about my lack of skill. There are other things sometimes that I wish I was much better at. You know, I wish I was much better at DIY. Or, um, you know, I knew how how my car works, so that if anything went wrong with it, it was no problem putting it right. Or like this morning when when there were some computer issues, that I could just deal with them all because I knew how it worked. Yet, they're just slight disappointments. Some of them, some of the disappointments that I have are a little bit more major than that, more important. I look at my life sometimes and I think, why is it that I love God, or say I love God, And yet, my life, at times, portrays something different. Why is it that the good that I want to do, I fail? I go through life doing things that I know are not right, that I know God does not want me to do. And I make a mistake and I regret it, but you know what will happen? I'll say sorry, but end up doing the same thing again. And I come back and I'm equally cross with myself for having missed the opportunity to serve God the way I know I should. Does any of that ring true with you? Not necessarily about the football bit, (laughs) but some of the other stuff. About not doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. Not living up to the standards that God wants. I know I'm supposed to change. I know I'm supposed to become more like Christ. And yet somehow, somehow it doesn't quite happen. And I'm disappointed. And actually, I think, as I reflect on that, I think it's right that I'm disappointed because my desire is to be the person that God wants me to be. But in this lifetime, I'm never going to achieve that completely. I'm always going to fail. But I need to keep striving because the danger is that in our disappointment, we give up. We say, oh well, I'll just carry on how I am. I've tried, I've failed, I've done my best. You know, I was sure God was supposed to change me. He has a little bit, but maybe not as much as he should have done. But I just have to be satisfied with the person that I am. We easily end up disappointed with ourselves and lose our desire for morphing. Lose our desire to change. 
Does any of that hit home with you? Maybe I'm just speaking to myself this morning. But I suspect not. We lose the expectation that God will change. That God will change us. That God can change others. You know, let's face that, sometimes, sometimes we see how others behave, how others live, and we just think there's no way God can change them. We lose the power of expectation to see change. We're disappointed in what we do ourselves. We lose the power of expectation. The second morphing problem is, um, I think we can use the wrong markers as a guide to our level of spirituality. We use the wrong markers as a guide to our level of spirituality. You see, when Jesus was coming into contact with the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, what was he saying about the way they were living? He was pointing out to them that they had become law. They'd become very reliant on the law. They had to do everything. Your spirituality, spirituality was measured by how well you kept the law. Did you do any work at all on the Sabbath? And you remember that Jesus came into conflict with them a number of times because he did such heinous things as heal somebody on the Sabbath. And that was considered work. Did you fast? Did you pray? How often did you fast? How often did you pray? They were looking at all those kind of things to decide how spiritual somebody was. I wonder, what sort of things do we look at today to ask that question, how spiritual is someone? Do we look at things like, well, do they pray out loud? Do they, do they sound like they know a lot? What sort of language do they use? You know the sort of thing where some people have been away on holiday and some people will say, oh, we were really fortunate with the weather. And other people will say, God really blessed us with the weather. You know, do we look at the sort of language people use to decide how spiritual they are? Do we look at how people are in worship? As to whether they look as if they're completely lost in, in, in the songs? Is that what we look for? How do we measure spirituality? How do we measure our own level of spirituality? Do we measure it by how often we're reading the Bible? How often we're praying to God? You know, it's very easy for us to fool ourselves. I've got to tell you, I realised as I was writing this how I fool myself sometimes. You know, I, I sit down and uh, I have a quiet time in the morning and I, I read the Bible and I, I keep a journal. And um, I suddenly realised I like to make sure that I have an entry in my journal every single day. And the sort of thing I do is I just write down as I'm doing my Bible readings particular verses that I think you know, are really applicable, uh, a verse that speaks out, or I write some of my prayers down. Uh, and I realised that I start writing things in for the sake of writing them down, so that when I look back, I think I was having a good time, I was close to God there. You know, I start measuring how good my time is with God by how much I'm writing. You know, if it's a bad day, I might only write three or four lines. If it's a good day, I write more. That's absolute rubbish. And I realised how easy it is, and that I do that sometimes. But it's rubbish. It's not any indication of my level of spirituality by how much I write in a journal. There's no measure of my spirituality by how much I read of the Bible each day. It's not that any of these things are bad, it's just that it doesn't tell me how spiritual I am. Paul provides us with a much, much better measure. The Spirit produces love 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. Do you know what we need to look at if we want to know whether we're changing, whether we're morphing, whether we're becoming more the person that God wants us to be? We need to look at the fruit of our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. Are we growing in those things? Are we growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control? Is there more evidence of those things in our lives? Is there more evidence of that in our lives? It's not about sitting down and praying. It's not that sitting down and praying is bad in itself. Of course, that's really good. It's not that writing a journal is bad in itself. That's really good. But it won't measure our spirituality. The things that measure our spirituality is what's happening in our lives. The fruit of our lives. What is the fruit of your life, of my life? Over recent months, weeks, maybe years, can you look back and see yourself as a different person? Can you see the way you've changed? Are you morphing? Are you morphing? It's so easy for us to use wrong markers, but Paul tells us to look at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Notice, and I know it's often pointed out at this, um, this point, but it's still worth making this point. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit in any translation. It's not like there are lots of fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit, the Spirit. And that fruit of the Spirit is made up of a number of things. We can't say, oh, well, I'm doing all right on... Um, on joy, but my patience has never changed at all. That's not about what part of the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is looking at all of these things, looking at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. All of those. Are we growing? Are we moving? Are we changing? It's morphing time. Can you bring the next slide up, please? So how do we become better at morphing? How do we become better people at changing so that we can display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? How do we go about that? There was, um, I like the story of a a teacher who was starting in a new school uh, and came to September and it was one of those schools that was generally quite nice but it had one or two really rough classes and uh, he had one of those on his first day and it was quite a nice warm day and the, uh, the sun was shining, the windows were open, the breeze was blowing uh, and the class were beginning to misbehave and, and the teacher raised his voice a little bit and uh, they quietened down for a little while. Very shortly afterwards the noise levels began to rise again and um, he began to raise his voice again and as he did the wind was blowing and his tie blew round behind him and he was quite annoyed by this page and uh, he just pulled his tie back or I should have told you one other thing before I tell you the next bit because otherwise it won't make sense as a teacher he'd he'd, uh, he'd, um, got a back injury over the summer and he was wearing a sort of plaster cast over him to protect his back and to keep it in the right position so his tie had blown over his shoulder and he put it back and he got a stapler out and he stapled the tie to his body do you know what? He never had any discipline problems with the class after that. Spiritual discipline. 
Uh, I'm coming back to the point now of where I actually raised the question in the first place. Why bother with spiritual discipline? What are our experiences of spiritual discipline? Sometimes it's discipline imposed by other people, like, like in the teaching situation in school. Sometimes uh, our idea of, let's say, self-discipline is the idea of depriving ourselves of something. You know, if you're on a diet, you need the self-discipline to stop eating the things that you really like, because all diets seem to stop us from eating the things that we really want to eat. So we come across discipline in quite a negative concept. But I think what we need to start looking at is spiritual disciplines in terms of a positive concept. Spiritual discipline is about saying, what I want to do more than anything else is to change, to become more like Christ. How do I do that? Through being disciplined spiritually. It's not that those disciplines in themselves make us spiritual. It's not because we pray or fast or meditate or study that we suddenly become more spiritual. But it's in doing some of those things when we have the desire to become more like God that we end up morphing. We end up changing. And so why bother with spiritual discipline? We bother with spiritual discipline if we want to become more like Christ. If we want to morph you know, develop into the person, the essential being of the person, you know, our essential being of who Christ wants us to be. We, we need to be involved in spiritual discipline if we want to submit to you know, if we want to become more like Christ, to become the person that Christ is. And we need spiritual discipline if we want to metamorphu, to become like something else, to become like our spiritual beings. How do we become better at morphing? By being involved in spiritual disciplines, not in a negative way, but in this positive way of saying, I want to become a different person. It's morphing time. So one answer is to use spiritual disciplines. And I just want to finish with three questions. And the first question is this. Do you want to morph? You know, do you actually want to change? The second question. Is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives growing? Is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life growing? Do you want it to grow? Do you want to morph? The third question, how much effort are you willing to put in to becoming the person that God wants you to be? Are you willing to just go through the motions and say, well, okay, I'm happy with who I am? Or do you want to morph? Do you want to change? Why bother with spiritual disciplines? Well, only if we want to change and become more like Christ, if we want to develop, to become the people that Christ wants us to be. What are your answers to those questions? What do you want to be? Because when the series starts properly, you know, all of those things are going to depend on your answer to this. It's only if we want to change, if we want to become more like Christ, that these things are going to be valuable, that we need to seriously look at those things. It's morphing time. Are you ready to morph? A question that we need to answer as individuals. We're going to take some time as we come and as we share in communion to think on these things.
to take a time to reflect. To remember that actually it's only through what Christ has done that we have this power to be the people that God wants us to be. We can't do it in our own strength. It's through the strength of the Spirit. Through God working in our lives. So let's take some time to come, to reflect, to share, to remember what Christ has done. As we do that, we're going to sing again. We'll sing, Breathe on me, Breath of God. Inviting the Spirit to speak into our lives. To challenge us, to transform us, to fill us with life anew. Perhaps as it does, those who are going to help serve communion could come forward.
Spirit of God, fill us with life anew. Fill us with the desire to become more like you. To be people who reflect in thought, in word, in action, your kingdom values. Speak into our hearts now. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Make us more determined where we need to be more determined. Help us to focus our thoughts on you. That your spirit will be working in our lives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. (coughs) So the invitation is for each of us. The invitation to come and to share in the bread and in the wine. An invitation that is there not for those of us who are perfect, but those of us, for those of us who know we have fallen short of God's standards. The table is spread for those of us who know we need to morph, who know we need to change. The table is spread for those who love the Lord a little and want to love him more. The table is spread for those who've made the choice that God is the one for whom we want to serve. The table is spread for you and for me. If you don't feel like you're in a position to share in communion, please don't feel embarrassed by passing the plate by. There's no problem with that at all. It's better to do that than to share in communion not being in the right place with God. Not wanting to commit ourselves to him. But if you're in a position where you do want to commit yourself to God, where you want to know God's forgiveness, where you want to know God's power, then please share with us in partaking in the bread and the wine. As we come to do that, let's pray. We give you thanks, O God, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for all that he achieved on the cross that you, a loving Father, were prepared to sacrifice your own Son for all of humanity. We thank you that Jesus was willing to walk that path of obedience, the path of obedience that would take him to death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, we can be here today. Thank you, O God, that we come not in our own strength, not because we have led lives worthy of being here this morning, but because of your grace and your mercy. We confess to you that too often our human nature takes precedent over our spiritual nature, that we end up being disappointed with ourselves for doing the things that we know we shouldn't. And yet even in knowing we shouldn't and even in saying sorry, we do them again. 
Father, forgive us, we pray. And help us to know the power of your love changing us. So Lord, help us in this time to be the people that you want us to be. To even now, to be shaped to be the people that you want us to be. That we will know you, know your presence. As we share in drinking and eating together. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus took bread, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in memory of me. We eat the bread as we receive it.
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is a sign of the new covenant made in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in memory of me. We'll retain the cup and drink together. So we drink as a sign of God's love for us, a sign that says, I love you just as the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you the way you are. So let's drink as a sign of our commitment to be the people that God wants us to be. Amen. Lord, as we share in this communion meal, we, we remember that it's a family meal and we remember those of our church family who are in need of our prayers at this time. We think particularly this morning of Sue, 
of D, of BT. And in the quietness of our hearts, we name others before you who we know who are in need of our prayers at this time. Lord, we trust in you, we trust in your love and hold these people before you in light of that this morning. We offer all these, our prayers, our thoughts, our words to you, our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close this morning by singing a final hymn. That speaks of travelling from the old to the new, <coughs> of moving from the old self to the new self. One more step along the world I go, from the old things to the new, keep me travelling along with you. Let's stand and sing together. blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you and those that you love this day and forever. Amen.